Uh, so today is part four of my ongoing sermon series, What We Believe and Why, and you can catch up with those parts that you've missed. Go to the website. Today I'm going to speak on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's incredible how much the church, and I'll say the church globally, does not understand about the Holy Spirit. Even committed Christians really don't have a fundamental understanding of what the Holy Spirit is about. And I want to make sure that we address that issue today in your life uh, because it's important. And you understand that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the three in one. And so you will not find the word Trinity in the Bible, although the concept you see is clearly revealed. Uh, we see the concept revealed in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there was a father at work in creation, but Jesus was there as well. We know that from other scripture that Christ was hands-on at the creation. John chapter 1, verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. We also read in Colossians 1, verse 16, speaking of Christ by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. The Bible says in Genesis 1, verses 2 to 3, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so you see the impact of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't have this scripture up there, but it'll be easy to remember. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where the verse says, let us, let us make man in our image. Well, who's the us? It's the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so clearly one of the, the most poignant examples of the Trinity in action, all simultaneously come together, is at the baptism of Christ in the River Jordan. Here we see God, uh, who is in human form, going down into the water to be baptized. And then God the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then God the Holy Spirit descends on Christ, in the form of a dove. And so formally, when we baptize people, even to this day, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in the springtime, we will do that here in this church in the Gulf. Uh, and so no one, you see, no one described the Holy Spirit better than our Lord Jesus Christ. No one. Before he departed from this world, uh, he promised his disciples that he would send another helper who would come in his place. Look, if you would, at John chapter 14, verse 16. And Jesus says there, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, 
as I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. You see how Jesus recognized the sorrow that would take place, the emptiness that would take place in this world as he left this world. But he recognized that, and God recognized it, which is why the Holy Spirit comes. He comes to take the place of Christ and to be within your heart so that when you accept Christ, God would put his spirit into your body. In these verses, you see, uh, Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit would be with them and be in them every day of their lives. In the same way today, the Holy Spirit is in the heart of every believer. And I want to assure you of this. And I also want to say to you, if you don't feel that, you need to come to Christ. Uh, and after this service, there'll be a chance when people will be up here to pray for you. Because that's the essence. That's the leverage that you need in order to feel the Holy Spirit and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in John chapter 16, uh, verse 7, Jesus tells his disciples, Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, he, I will send him to you. I love the way Christ refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate advocating how to live, advocating conviction, advocating righteousness, advocating Jesus Christ. You see, that's the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads you to Christ and convicts you of your need for Christ and convicts you of the errors and sin in your life. All of this takes place because of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus then gives them important information about the role of the Holy Spirit. And this is found in John 16, uh, verse 8. And I would say to you, when you get an occasion and have some time, read the entire chapter of John 16. Because the entire chapter really develops through Jesus what the Holy Spirit is about. It's an incredible chapter. And here in John 16, verse 8, Jesus says, When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin, because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Let's understand something. When Christ died on the cross, that was the ultimate judgment of condemnation for sin, the ultimate condemnation of Satan, and the world doesn't understand it. You see, because if you go to people in the world who have not accepted Christ, uh, they will say, well, I'm okay, I'm a good father, I'm a good husband, I'm a good man, I'm a better neighbor than the guy down the street. They don't understand that God doesn't care about relativism. Because when you look in the mirror, don't see your neighbor's picture, see Jesus. And when you see Jesus looking back at you, the Holy Spirit should convict you about the kind of life that you have. And recognize that only through the impact of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus can you live the kind of life that God wants you to live. Now, the Holy Spirit has come to convict us of our sin. And I would say to you that unless the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sin, you would never recognize your sin. The very fact that you have become a Christian and have come to Christ is because the Holy Spirit convicted you even before you accepted Christ. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. When we pray for people that need salvation, we're actually praying that the Holy Spirit convict them. He's not in them yet, but he's with them and can convict them of their sin. Because unless you are convicted of your sin, you will never come to righteousness. 
And so the Holy Spirit takes the message of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus and shows us, tells us it's true and convinces us that we need to turn to God. Without the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, you would never come to Jesus. Without the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, uh, you would never recognize that you need salvation. And I will say this to you right now. As I'm preaching to you, if my preaching is anointed and inspired by God through the Holy Spirit, in your heart, you should be saying, Amen. Amen. He's right. Because God is speaking to you. And you are recognizing it and resonating with it because of the Holy Spirit. When we pray for a non-believer, we're praying that the Holy Spirit would touch them and convict that person. It is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to Christ Jesus. Without that, you will never believe in Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit has come, really, to show us our need for the righteousness of Christ. Not our own human righteousness, which is miserable. And Jesus made it critically clear in Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Surpassing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Look, theirs was a false righteousness. Theirs was a self righteousness. But the Holy Spirit has come to all of us to say that the only righteousness that counts is the righteousness of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, Paul describes the Holy Spirit's role in distributing spiritual gifts. And this is important as you recognize what God does. He does. He distributes the spiritual gift. In this church, there are a number of those spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit is given. And the Holy Spirit decides what gifts he's going to give to each person. What are those gifts? Well, there's gifts of administration, gifts of discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, helps, hospitality, leadership, mercy, teaching, and wisdom. All of those are spiritual gifts dispensed by the Holy Spirit through the church. Uh, and so you recognize the power of the Holy Spirit in that. And so we have evidence of the Holy Spirit even in the Old Testament. Uh, because I know many people don't believe that the Holy Spirit only existed in the New Testament. Not true. The Holy Spirit ex existed in the Old Testament where we see sometimes a temporary filling a temporary anointing. A good example of this is the temporary nature of the filling of King Saul at the time that he was effectively anointed as the first king of Israel. If you look at 1 Samuel 10, verse 9, and you will see this great warrior king, Saul, uh, turning to leave Samuel. And there we read, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gebeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? 
No, he wasn't among the prophets, but he received a temporary dispensation of the Holy Spirit as he was about to be the king. Later on, you will see that God took that Holy Spirit away from him. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now let's understand something. In the, whole, in the Old Testament, uh, there, there was such a condition as a temporary filling of the Holy Spirit. Under the new covenant, that is not the case. When you have accepted Christ, when you are regenerated, God reaches across eternity to save you and implants the Holy Spirit in your heart. Each and every one of you that have committed yourself to Christ have the Holy Spirit. It is not a temporary issue. It is a permanent issue. Uh, it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the church age. This is a permanent act of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Let me re-emphasize that. It is a permanent fact of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Christians can be assured that the Holy Spirit will not be taken away from you. I want to emphasize that. Because it's part of what I will speak about later, another week, about eternal security. Meaning that when you are saved, when you are held in the hand of God, no power, no principality can take you out of the hand. And as I was discussing that with somebody uh, from the church, said to me, well, what about maybe nobody will take me out of the hand, but can I crawl out of the hand? <laughs> are you kidding me? God has closed his hand on you. And you think somehow you're going to crawl out of that hand? No, you're not. God will do whatever he can to keep you in his hand until you're called home to eternity. Amen, church? Let's understand that. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Drill down on that verse. When you believed, you were marked in him. How did God mark you? He gave you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was a seal from God marking you permanently. This is my child, and is there until you go home to glory with God. Uh, understand what God has done. You know, how appropriate is it for us to have this message on Thanksgiving Sunday, when we thank God for everything that he's done, not the least of which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, growing up, I didn't recognize this gift. I was really immune to understanding what the Holy Spirit meant, but as only as I got older and studied Scripture, it became clearer and clearer that Jesus Christ was in my heart because of the Holy Spirit. And I recognize it because even now, when there'll be a certain piece of music uh, or a certain word, and all of a sudden, I get emotional. I know it's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. It's not John, the hard guy that was in trial against people. All of a sudden, it's a different kind of John. It's a John inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we recognize this, and, and we lift up our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so let's understand something. The Holy Spirit is indispensable to anyone who will be saved. 
I emphasize that. It is indispensable to anyone who will be saved. His work can be divided into three categories. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is a personage. It is an entity, okay? It is not some ethereal, ephemeral cloud. It is an actual entity. And his work can be divided into three categories. And those are pre-conversion, conversion, and post-conversion. And I want to speak to you so that you understand this. The pre-conversion work of the Holy Spirit prior to anyone believing in Christ or placing his faith in Jesus Christ uh, involves setting the conditions that allow people to respond to God. Uh, and one of these roles is to convict you of sin. You see, here's the deal. You don't know who God is. You don't know who Jesus is. But yet, when God is reaching out to you, uh, you are beginning to be convicted about your life. You recognize that you need a Savior. And finally, you begin to mourn over your spiritual condition. And through the faith that God then gives you, you reach out to God and say, I need a Savior. Save me, Father. And he then reaches out, saves you, and gives you the Holy Spirit. Recognize this. Not even your faith came from yourself. It was God that gave you the faith to reach out to him. And so the conversion work of the Holy Spirit, regeneration, changing, uh, is defined as the impartation of a new life. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We're following Pentecost. Immediately after Pentecost, Peter makes this statement. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the same guy that two months before walked out on Christ, denied that he even knew Christ, cursed to prove that he couldn't be one of the disciples. And now, what happened? The impartation of the Holy Spirit descended on Peter, empowered Peter. Now he goes down into the streets and sees thousands of people who are not saved, antagonistic Jews, and delivers that message. Repent and be baptized. And I want to assure you that the Holy Spirit was there convicting those people in the streets. And so upon conversion, the people, the believer in Jesus Christ, is said to be baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is now in your life, filling your life, walking with you, empowering you, and you now are attached to the body of Christ. Because when God sees you, he now sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ, and he sees you as holy and righteous. And let me assure you, you're not holy. You're not righteous. Well, at least I can speak for myself. But I know this, that when God sees me through Jesus Christ, I am holy. And I am righteous. And so that's important that you understand that. And Paul emphasizes this fact as he emphasizes the role of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. He's not talking of baptism in water. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that when you have been saved, we are now baptized into one body. 
Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, a slave person or a free person. You are now in one body of Jesus Christ because of the Holy Spirit. And so the post-conversion work of the Holy Spirit is the filling and the empowering and guiding of the believer uh, uh, as the Holy Spirit's ministry works in your heart. While the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs only once when you are converted, the filling of the Spirit can happen multiple times after conversion. And that's part of what I want to emphasize to you, that you need to be continually refilled, that you have to ask God, Father, fill me, empower me, continue to give me your Spirit. Yes, yes, I've been filled with your Spirit. Yes, I've been baptized. But here's what a lot of us have done in our life. We've turned the Holy Spirit pilot light down real low, right? Turn it down real low. Why? I don't want people to think I'm too flaky. I don't want them to think I'm too zealous or too religious. And here's what the message is today. Take it and turn it all the way up and then pull the knob off. That's how you are to live. This is how Christ wants you to live. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. How else can you walk with God? How else can you change your world? How else can you change your family unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit and understand how to live through the good times and the bad times? How can you face the dark periods of time in your life unless you have the assurance of the Holy Spirit in your life living within you and directing you and convicting you? Look, Paul indicated that it was the obligation of the church at Ephesus to be filled by the Spirit. Look at 5, Ephesians 5, 18, where he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't look for things of this world to fill your heart. Look for God to fill your heart with the Holy Spirit, and he will do that. Uh, and what's the evidence of the Holy Spirit? Well, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's Galatians 5, verses 16 to 22. You know, I always said to you that you have a good test of the nature of the Holy Spirit when you get in your car and you drive through Naples. But lately, God has given me a greater vision. And the greater vision I have is, imagine when your cable television goes off. And now you have to call Comcast. And now you're on the phone for an hour. And now you keep speaking, representative, representative, representative. My wife laughs as I speak representative over and over to a tape. But you understand, because of the Holy Spirit, I don't rip the phone off the hook. All right? And this is the power, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit as he does that and empowers us. Let me just think of what you would be, where you would be without the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. Look, look at Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. It doesn't matter what church you're part of. It doesn't matter what denomination you're a part of. It's worldwide. You're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You have God's passport. 
And I don't know about you, but I can tell you that I've been to places where I didn't really know people, but when I met them, I knew there was something different. I knew that Christ was living in their hearts, and that's how God wants us to be. And so because of the impending loss of Jesus from this world, the disciples were greatly sorrowful, and Jesus knew their sorrow. He knew that he had to begin to teach them about the Holy Spirit, uh, that for their own good, he was going to leave. And he instructs them that unless he leaves, the Holy Spirit will not come. That leads to John chapter 16. Read it when you get home. Look, the world is an evil place. And it was equally evil during the time of the Lord. Uh, it is the spirit of man inspired by Satan itself uh, and the forces of evil that stand in opposition to the will of God. However, through the work of the Holy Spirit, God will use his divine power to convict man despite that darkness. He will convict the carnal mind of man to let man understand that there's a higher power that he needs to come to righteousness through Jesus Christ. And so the first reality is that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Jesus gives an immediate explanation for that in John 16, verse 9, where he says, because men do not believe in me. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to make people understand you need Jesus. You need Jesus. It's only through Jesus that you can be saved. And so the Holy Spirit convicts the world in two ways. First, it's like a prosecuting attorney. Uh, he secures a verdict of guilty uh, against the world, and the Holy Spirit does that. Uh, it brings the guilt home to the human mind on the human consciousness so that people become disturbed by their sins, convicted by their actions. Uh, and a poignant example of this ministry occurs on the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Let's understand that. There's 120 people in the upper room, all right? And the whole, they're praying because Jesus told them to pray until the Holy Spirit comes. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit descends on fiery wings of tongues on that 120, and now the gift of foreign languages is dispensed on the 120, and so suddenly, from the upper room, and I was there where that room was, down to the streets, thousands of Jews hears the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in their mother tongue. People from all over the world, and the Bible tells us in 40 different languages, hears the gospel of Jesus Christ preached, all right? And then, then Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes down to the street, the same guy who walked away from Jesus two months before, in Acts 2, 2 verse 36, says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Can you imagine the fearful guy who hid out who wouldn't believe, but now inspired by the Holy Spirit. He has the courage to speak out. This is what God wants you to do. He gives you the courage and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to speak to people that need to hear about Jesus. In verse 37 there, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other disciples, apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think if this was happened the day before, he decided to go down in the street, 
the day before the Holy Spirit descended. Do you think these people, 3,000 of them, would come to faith? I can assure you, no way. No way. It wasn't due to the brilliance of Peter. It was due to the inspiration and convicting power of the Holy Spirit that after it descended, he goes down on the street and 3,000 of recalcitrant Jews who refuse to accept Christ come to faith and become Christians. What a poignant demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the thing that you need to remember. As human beings, we are powerless, and I emphasize that. We are powerless to convict humanity of sin. You can't convict anybody that they're a sinner. Uh, only the Holy Spirit convicts people. Uh, and the, the, the number one sin that the Holy Spirit convicts of is the fact that people do not believe in Jesus Christ. It is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that brings that to your heart. Uh, and so the average man or woman does not recognize their sinful nature. They think that they're fine. They don't want to address it. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't make me feel good. But God's not interested in that you feel good. He's interested that you come to faith. And we need to understand that. Uh, and so true righteousness, true righteousness is only demonstrated uh, through the actual personage of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit directs you to the face of Christ and to the life of Christ. And that is what we all lack. Look, the final aspect of the Spirit's work uh, is mentioned in these verses, which is to convict the world in regard to coming judgment. You know, people don't like to hear the word judgment. You know, let's all get a campfire. Let's get some marshmallows. Bring out a guitar. Let's all sing kumbaya. We're all going to heaven. We're all God's children. Well, let me clue you in. You're not all God's children. You become a son or daughter of Christ when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's when you go from being a dead man or a woman walking to a live Christian filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so this is what the world needs to understand, what God has called you to deliver. Look, this teaching that I'm giving you today, this teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples before he departed this world, would be startling to Jews of that era. Uh, they knew that God had spoken to Moses. They had the Old Testament. They had the Old Covenant. They thought they were uh, the chosen people. They never believed that there was some new revelation that they would need, and yet God made it clear. The Old Covenant had come to an end. There was a new covenant. It was represented by Jesus Christ and the dispensation of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers. That was the new covenant. Revelation. This is exactly what Jesus promised in his teaching. Uh, and he was teaching that the disciples would go and lead into new revelations. And what would the new revelation be? The writing of the New Testament. The writing of the New Testament takes place because the Holy Spirit would reside in the apostles who would write the New Testament. That's what God does. You understand it. And so it's, it becomes authoritative because it's what God has directed through the Holy Spirit. Look, Paul summarizes this point so well in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he said, This is what we speak 
Not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. You know, when I get up here, I don't want you to think that I've crafted some rhetorical message uh, that, that I would deliver in court. This is no message that I would deliver in court. This is a message under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, delivered by the Holy Spirit, so that you would receive it through the Holy Spirit. We speak spiritual truths through the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's why there is a new chapter in the world history of Christianity. This is why God dispensed his Holy Spirit on the church. We, as fellow Christians, would now lead the world to Jesus through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look, the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at the time of regeneration as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Uh, the purpose of the baptism effectively is to bring the new Christian and to attach the Christian into the body of Christ, all right? There is no interval of time, no interval of time between regeneration and baptism of the Spirit. When you have been regenerated, when you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, instantaneously, God sends the Holy Spirit and puts it into your heart. Romans 8, verse 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's why we ask God constantly to fill us and refill us because we know we walk in an evil world. This is a place is when we live in this world, it's like a pail that has holes in it. The water drains out. Lord, I need to be refilled. Every day that you get up, ask God to continue to refill you and fill you so that you're empowered to spread this message, so that you have the courage to speak about Jesus and live the kind of life that he wants you to live because you can't do it on your own. Don't think you can be a lone ranger. There's no such thing in scripture. You are where you are because he called you and saved you and filled you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one unifying factor that the church has that unites it with Christians all over the world. We are united as Christians together, being filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that we travel with the passport of Christ every day. And so you need to be committed to do this. You need the Holy Spirit in order to successfully engage yourself in spiritual warfare. You are involved in spiritual warfare. Every day of your life, things will surround you. Evil will surround you. And you can only succeed, only succeed when you are empowered with the Spirit of God. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for this message on the Holy Spirit, especially on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Father, we thank you for this gift that you've given us that we have in our hearts your spirit, that we walk with you, Father. I ask you to let everyone in this church recognize that they have that. And if there are people here today who have not experienced and are not really regenerated, I ask you that you convict them today and bring them forward at the end of the service to pray with those people here who will pray with them so that they too can feel that empowering power. Father, we put all of this, all of this before your throne in the name 
of Jesus Christ. Amen.